name is Bear Siragusa, and you are listening to the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. Hey there, folks. This is Bear. Figured today I would do something a little different. I've uh, done a bunch of these interviews, and I really enjoy those. But I figured that um, for a little while I'd like to see if I can sprinkle in some shorter ones, shorter shorter episodes where, yeah, maybe I can uh, share a little bit of my experience from the dog world, even if it's not uh, you know entirely uh, hound-specific. But uh, ultimately, what I would like to do is 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 just share some practical information that applies to both hounds and any other type of working dog or dog in general. Um, and today, I figured I would do that with a little bit of a talk about first aid, hound first aid. You know, I think anybody who's done, um, you know, worked with working dogs for long enough is going to end up in a situation where you know, things are going to go properly pear-shaped where your animal's going to end up injured and, you know, what you're going to want is not necessarily the ability to take care of that injury from start to finish all by yourself. Ideally, you know, it's going to be something that's trivial enough so that that's going to be possible. But depending on the circumstances, you know, ultimately what my goal is in most situations is to be prepared enough. So unless things really properly go, go bad, I can at least get that animal out. You know, I can, I can get that hound out of the woods to my truck and to a veterinarian and give it the best possible chance of, uh, yeah, making it when it gets to the veterinarian. You know, it's a, anybody who's watched the TV show MASH, they call it meatball surgery. It's it's what you're doing. What what they were doing was trying to stabilize these people until they could get to, you know, get stateside or get to get to bigger hospitals. That's that's basically what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about first first responder type stuff, where you are going to the goal is to stabilize and protect, keep it from getting worse until the real experts can come along and do their job a lot of you know a lot of injuries are going to require stitches that might not be something you necessarily need to go to the vets for but i'm going to break down a couple of things um that uh i would head to the vets for but also i'm going to break down what i have in my hound uh, med kit or first aid kit and my hound and my first aid and my person first aid kit are one and the same but um there are a few things in there that I have that are that are hound specific, along with the, a few things that I have that are people specific. So, um, I guess I'll just hop right in. Uh, one of the things I always have a lot of is vet wrap. If you guys know what I'm talking about, you can. It's that slightly stretchy, self clinging. Um, it's not really. It's it's an outer bandage material. Um, you can use it. Uh, I see it used quite a bit on. Yeah, knees. I see NFL players using it to you know, ice up shoulders and things like that. A couple of wraps of vet wrap around the ice bag, between the ice bag and the shoulder. Um, 
keeps it there. Uh, I have a bunch of that on me at all times. There's two or three rolls in my truck. There's a roll on me while I'm out there. And that's because that's going to be kind of your catch-all for everything we're going to go over today. It might not be the best solution for everything we're going to go over today, but for most of what we're going to go over today, you can actually use it. So, for example, you know, what I would mainly use it for would be if I have a dog that's gotten a a major wound. And by a major wound, I'm not, not talking about, you know, a a puncture wound. I'm talking about a major gaping slash gash wound or a puncture wound that's so deep, you know, a bite from, you know, a bite from a bear, mountain lion, whatever, where I'm having a hard time stemming the flow of blood. I'm going to use that vet wrap to not only try to put a little bit of pressure on the wound, if it's a type of wound where I pressure is going to be enough to stop the flow of blood without actually cutting off the circulation, I'm going to use the vet wrap. I'm also going to use the vet wrap for keeping debris and all the crap that they're going to get when you're getting them out of the woods, walking through swamps or whatever. You want to try and keep as much of that crap, the dirt and the debris and the, you know, yeah, out of the wound as possible. And vet wrap is going to be your go-to thing. It's my go-to thing. I won't speak for you, but it's my go-to thing. And the reason that I like it so much is that you don't need anything else. You can rip it with your hands. You can tear it with your teeth. You can do whatever you need to do. It sticks to itself. It won't stick to the dog. It won't stick to the wound when you try to take it off. It's it's just a good, easy thing to have where you don't need any additional equipment. If you have vet wrap, you don't need anything. You don't need a knife. You don't need scissors. You don't need anything to use the vet wrap. Just use the vet wrap. Um, the other, a couple of other things I, you can use the vet wrap for that I've, I've used it on myself, but never on a dog this way is, is broken bones or dislocated joints where the, there's actually some displacement of the bone or the joint. So basically things aren't sitting where they should be. Um, that's a, that's an injury where that dog is ultimately going to need veterinary attention, unless you are okay with that animal, um, you know, healing with a bone, with a, a, a joint or a bone that is not going to function, uh, optimally. Um, but what I've done is as I'm getting the animal out or, uh, you know, in, in the, the couple of cases I've done it where while I've been getting myself out to the truck, where I've used vet wrap and a stick, vet wrap and um, I've seen it used with pencils, you know, a couple of pens. I'm sure you could probably even use a Garmin antenna. But put that against whatever is out of place and then give it a couple wraps of vet wrap. That's going to help immobilize the joints so, or the bones so you're not going to be doing any more damage as you yourself are moving out or the dog is moving out. It's at least going to hinder more damage from further displacing that bone or, or joint. Um, the, the thing with the vet wrap is that it is elastic. So, and it does, because it does stick to itself, it, you have to work a little bit to get it to unroll. And as you start to unroll, it's real tempting to just kind of unroll it as you're putting it on the animal. Don't, don't do that. Don't, 
don't just roll it right out because it's going to end up being too tight and you're going to end up cutting off circulation to whatever is below the vet wrap. What basically whatever the vet the vet wrap is between the heart and whatever is on the other side of the vet wrap. If it's too tight, it, you're going to cut off circulation and that doesn't need to happen for very long before you're going to have some major major issues down the road. So, yeah, vet wrap a must have in um in my first aid kit. Uh what I what I like to do when I am putting it on is to just unroll you know, just unroll about as much as I think I'm going to use and then just roll it back up, you know, like you would roll up a, I don't know, a roll of toilet paper that got away from you on the bathroom floor and unrolled itself. Everyone's had that happen. You just kind of roll it back up loose and crappy and wait for, you know, unroll it later on. But, um, the other thing I really like to have, uh, with me is a couple of rolls of just gauze, um, like two, two to four inch absorbable gauze. Uh, and that can come in either a roll or you can get it in, in pads that are already cut. I like to have a roll with it, uh, because I can, you know, I'm not going to end up in a situation where it's not big enough or I, have, or the pads that I have are too big. It's, you know, I can, I can really, it gives me a lot of flexibility. Um, it will create an absorbent layer, um, between whatever dressings you have and the skin. And especially if you've got a bleeder, it's going to add by building up a little bit of gauze underneath the vet wrap or what, you know, whatever layers of bandages you have, you can put more pressure on one spot. Um, and again, this is for, uh, solid bleed but not something where you're going to need to start thinking in terms of tourniquet this is this is more of a put a little bit of pressure on that thing that is you know bleeding a little bit more than you want it to be um the downside with the gauze is on is that it will stick to the wound so if you if you apply it and then you know the wound stops and the blood or the wound stops to bleed and the blood starts to coagulate you're going to end up in a situation where it's going to stick and it might be a little bit hard to get off. You may need to actually, um, you know, uh, work it off with some chlorhex. Um, yeah, what do you call it? Chlorhexidine. Um, because it will have stuck to the wound. Um, in terms of bleeding, you know, <clears throat> the if you've got a arterial bleed. You know, a hound's been bitten in the thigh, uh, and then you know the, the neck. They're they're in they're in rough shape. But you know, say the thigh. That that seems to be a fairly off, a fairly common one. You are going to end up in a situation with an arteri arterial arterial bleed where the when you're doing triage, you need to make you need to make calls on what thing you are going to treat first and bleeding is always going to be the first thing you treat and the reason for that <clears throat> is that once they bleed out there's there's nothing more you can do so a tourniquet is something you're going to want to have on you and it doesn't need to be anything you know special a decent sized handkerchief 
uh, a bandana, something like that, a you know, torn up corner of sheet, something like that is, is going to work fine. And in, you know, the, you're also going to be able to use it in, on yourself. And, you know, you could also use it to make a sling if you, you know, knock a shoulder or an elbow or a, you know, out of joint or you break your own arm. But the, there's a technique to applying a tourniquet and, you know, you don't want to just kind of stick it on there and start cranking. Um, you want to try to avoid crushing injuries. A lot of times what I, you know, what I like to see done is that you have something like a bandana, you tie that on with um, a big wad of gauze underneath directly on the source of the bleed. And then you start to tighten. And, you know, you don't want to tighten it in knots that are hard to get undone. You want to be able to release the pressure if necessary. So, you know, a lot of times I'll stick a stick or something like that in there and actually do a rotation or two with the stick just to get that little bit of extra pressure on there. Because again, you know, at that point, I'm not worried about losing the foot. I'm not worried about losing, you know, the leg. At that point, I'm worried about keeping that dog from dying in the next, you know, two and a half minutes. <clears throat> if I can do that, then that gives me a little window of time to get that dog out of the woods and to a vet and, you know, potentially still be able to salvage, uh, salvage my hound. Um, you know, the, the meat eater guys did a great, uh, a great podcast about the proper use of a tourniquet. Um, you can check out episode, I think it was 192, uh, called bleeding out. And Dr. Alan Zara did a, did a really nice episode, um, on the use of a tourniquet. I, at some point I'm going to get a veterinarian on the podcast to talk a little bit more about that in terms of dog specific stuff. Um, I'm hoping that's actually going to happen fairly soon, but it's one of those things you're probably never going to need a tourniquet. Hopefully you'll never going to, you're never going to need it, but you're going to be real happy. You have it, uh, when, and if the shit completely hits the fan, if you'll excuse the expression. Um, you know, another thing that a lot of our hounds are going to run into, what regardless of whether they're, it's, it seems almost like sometimes the, it's injury, it's at least here, it's injuries that I often see in pointers rather than hounds. There's something about the sort of insane, yeah, intensity of a pointer that, lends itself to these horrible lacerations on their leg on rocky terrain or even impaling themselves on sticks because they're not really paying attention to where they're going or they're paying attention to only one aspect of where what's motivating them forward um so for you know if i've got something that's not muscular is not bleeding terribly but as you know a laceration in all layers of skin i may I may use just a medical stapler and I, I might call it good, good there. It really, you know, you're going to need to take it on a case by case basis, but 
you know, if I've got something where I think ah, I probably could use a, a stitch, I might smack a medical staple in there and take it out after 10 days as long as it's, you know, looking good. When I get home, I'll probably, you know, clean it out a little bit, take some of the hair away. With the hounds, it's not as big of a deal as with some of these other breeds with a lot of hair, like a husky, where it's just going to kind of scab over and get all gross. You know, a hound, for the very most part, is you're not going to need to do much um, shaving. Um, but yeah, the medical stapler, they're really easy to use. Uh, I prefer it to, in a situation like this, I would prefer that to a needle and thread, simply because a needle and thread, the dog, it takes a minute to pull both, both sides together, tie off that knot in a way that's it's that's going to stay. You know, a medical stapler, it's you push the two sides together, click, you're done. And that's going to be something that in the case of an enormous injury, you know, a degloving of a limb, uh, you know, uh, a, um, you know, an injury that goes into down to the bone where you can see muscle and clearly see muscle and tendons or an injury that actually enters a body, uh, a body cavity, the stomach cavity, a chest cavity, something like that. I would recommend until you can get that dog out and to a veterinarian, use a medical stapler and just, you don't need to get the muscle. You don't need, just take those outer layers of skin and, and put that, put that dog back together. It's going to keep, again, the worst of the debris out. You're going to reduce the risk of infection, but, and uh, this is a big, but when you do that, then you need to go to the vets. If you stitch that dog up with all of that bark and all that shit and saliva and you know whatever if it's been bitten if you stitch that dog up and don't have access to antibiotics and you don't especially when you've got tendon and and uh, muscle involved what you're doing then is creating a hole that is just going to be a bacteria breeding paradise what a vet's going to do is going to open is going to take out the staples open up and start sewing all of that muscle and fascia back together in layers all the way up into the skin. And the last thing they're going to do is sew the skin shut. That is to reduce the risk of infection. And by reducing the number of hole, you know, the number of caverns in the dog's body, basically, uh, as they're closing up that hole. Um, but yeah, medical stapler is a great thing to have. They're cheap. Uh, you can get them online, and um, it, it's going to be a lot easier than stitching them up. Um, I always have dog booties on me. I love dog booties. They're easy to easy to use, and, you know, get a dog that gashes up its foot, wears down a pad, breaks off a toenail, smack that on there. Again, a lot of what I'm going to be doing when I'm getting a dog out is going to be trying to prevent it from getting worse on the way out. And, you know, one way of getting worse is that, a you know, if it splits its pad walking out, it could just pack a bunch of garbage in there and have, it's going to extend the amount of time that you're going to use or that that hound is going to use to heal that foot. If you can keep it clean ish, or the cleaner you keep it, the less time it's going to take to heal, basically. 
so dog booties are a little bit of cheap insurance there. Um, a lot of places where we hunt hounds, kind of re regardless of where you are, uh, yeah, pretty much regardless of where you are, there's going to be something that the dogs can react allergically to, whether it's, you know, spiders, bees, snakes, you know, here in, here in Norway, we've got, um, like a common viper and not dangerous to really much, but they're extremely dangerous to dogs because the dogs, most dogs have an extreme allergic reaction to them and go into anaphylactic shock. Um, that happens so fast that I always have Benadryl with me to administer because it is going to help the body fight that allergic reaction. It's not going to help the body fight the venom. It's still going to need an anti-venom and it's, but it's going to help that animal. It's going to help the hound. Um, uh, it's going to delay that allergic reaction long enough for you to get it to, um, the veterinarians because they may, they may live if you don't do anything. I see a lot of people, you know, their dogs puff up and they, you know, hit them with decks or something like that. That's, That may be something that your vet will do anyway, but the real long-term risk when it comes to, you know, of if the, if the hound lives through the anaphylactic shock, the real long-term risk is going to be damage to its renal system, which is why you want to get a hound to where it's, they can put it on fluids, they can flush its system, dilute as much of this as they can and do as and pump as much through their system as quickly as possible to avoid uh, some of these long-term effects that can be, you know, pop up weeks and months and get, get worse and worse as time goes by after, you know, an unlucky, an unlucky run-in with a, you know, a snake specifically uh, in this case, but it works for, works for anything, um, you know, and it, that's something that I can use on myself, the, times where I've stumbled into wasps, nests, and things like that. It's been, uh, been I've been glad I've had it. Um, <clears throat> and one thing I don't have to worry about here anymore, but I know most of you guys are going to need to worry about, are porcupines. And I never, this is more of a practical thing that I have on me that's not necessarily med kit specific, but I've always got a pair of pliers or a Leatherman on me. And, you know, for a, a, a myriad of reasons, but one of the reasons, um, in the States was because I wanted to be able to yank out, uh, porcupine quills. Uh, a lot of times it's, it seems like hounds when they first, you know, you get in a border collie sometimes at work, you know, back, back when I worked in the States and it would have two or three quills, you know, the, the porcupine would whap it in the nose. The border collie would go in kind of carefully and, would, you know, might get a few quills in its nose. The, the hounds would just come in where you couldn't see their eyes. You couldn't see their nose. I mean, they'd have thousands of quills. It seemed like thousands anyway. Uh, so a good set of pliers is a must. 
if you can pull the quills out from around the hound's eyes, because that's going to be a lot of the lasting damage is going to be to eyes if you don't get those quills out really quickly. Um, later on, once you get those quills out of its eyes, then you can kind of regroup for to, to start pulling large quantities of quill. There's been this debate, which I just have never understood, whether you should cut the quills or not to deflate them. Um, I have worked at many different, with many different veterinarians. I do not know a single veterinarian that would clip a quill before they pulled it. It will not deflate. The only thing you're doing is making, is leaving yourself less quill to grab onto to pull out later. Leave the quill hole, yank them out one by one. The barbs are going to be in the hound regardless. Leave it whole, pull it out. And, you know, hope that you get them all. I've, I had a dog whacked by a porcupine, let me see, in 2007. Before I moved to Norway, I, moved, I brought that dog with me to Norway. And in 2014, I pulled a quill out of the, uh, his opposite side. Was just petting him and something poked me and I reached down and pulled it out and it was a porcupine quill. Um, he'd had some health issues after that or before, before that, which in hindsight, I wonder whether it was his body fighting off abscesses from uh, this porcupine run in that he had. But um, yeah, please don't, please don't cut the quills. And if you've got a dog that is not cooperating to the point where you are considering knocking that dog out, please do that, but please go to a vet to do that. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a couple of posts on Facebook where we'll start talking about different ways to knock dogs out, holding a gas, my, my, you know, favorite slash least favorite was holding a gasoline-soaked rag to the dog's nose until it passed out. Please don't do that. It's that's an insane. It, that that's an insane thing to do. And the only thing you're gonna do is you know, kill brain cells and very potentially kill that dog. Uh, if it's so bad that you can't handle the dog, oh, while it's conscious then it's time to call in a bet. Um, yeah, that's, those are the, really the, the main things that I've got, I've got in a, in a hound first aid kit. I always have a collapsible bowl so I can get them water if I need to. I always have an extra bottle of water with me. That's hound, you know, for the hounds. Um, there's a bunch of different things that you can do, uh, once you get home for these minor injuries, you know, broken claws and uh, torn up feet and things like that. 
uh, I, I guess the one thing I'll touch on real quick is uh, I probably did this in a, another podcast where I talked about feet, but it, it might be good to just touch on it very briefly again. It, you know, the most common injury that my hounds get anyway is rough, is roughed up feet. You know, the, we live in an area with a lot of shale, a lot of flint. They, they're always kind of, it requires a tough footed dog and, I've got one that's super tough-footed. I rarely have an issue with him. You know, he gets splits and cuts, you know, three or four times a year, but that's it. And then I've got another dog that, you know, she can't be out there for more than 45 minutes, it seems, without coming back with some bleeding cut on her foot. Um, what I do then, <clears throat> pardon, is that I will fill in an airline crate with maybe an inch of water, inch or two of water. And then put a little bit of mild soap uh, in the water, you know, mix it up a little bit so it gets a little sudsy. And then I'm going to stick the dog into the crate with that water in there. They're not going to lie down. They're just going to stand there miserably for five minutes. But it's going to loosen up all of the dried blood, the skin, the dead skin, the all the crap that's in that foot is going to get, that's really going to help loosen it up and clean it up. Uh, I'll let them out and then I'll hit, you know, I'll smack on something, you know, ideally a, a, a cut salve, you know, maybe not Neosporin, but you know, a zinc, zinc ointment, diaper rash ointment for kids works really well. Um, paws are protected. I've heard works really well. I don't have any experience with it, but I've heard it works really well. Musher secret works really well, you know, use, I've, I've used bag bomb, you know, all of those things, deep, deep cuts. I wouldn't do that, but just abrasions, sl slices, cracks, things like that. Just smack that stuff on there. Once you've cleaned the foot and you're going to increase the amount, you're going to increase that dog's ability to clean it up and, and heal. Uh, it's going to heal a lot faster. Um, <clears throat> those, that's basically it, uh, in terms of just really simple common sense, first aid. Again, the, the whole point is to get that dog, get that hound out of the woods to where either you can administer more complete care, or you can get it to someone who has the ability to do that, depending on the injury. You're not looking to solve all your problems and keep hunting. This is uh, this is when your day is when you've got an injury, that is the end of your day, where that dog's done for the day. There's no question, and you just need to get it out of there. This is your basic stuff. Um, dogs. If you have the again, the biggest thing is going to be try and keep the bleeding to a minimum. Uh, if the dog stops breathing, uh, you are like, if I'm being real, you're, you're that dog's in big trouble. You can do CPR on a dog, but doing a CPR on a dog while carrying it out to the truck is, I won't say it's impossible, but I've never, I can't even imagine how that would be done. So, uh, the bleeding is going to be the big thing stabilizing injury, you know, broken bones, things like that is, is going to be another thing. And then just trying to keep everything as, as, as clean as possible. 
to give the dog the best chance of, uh, of healing down the road, uh, with the help of, yeah, hopefully with the help of some antibiotics and maybe a veterinarian. So, but, um, if anybody has any questions or w any follow-up, uh, information, some practical, good advice, Leave it in the comments section of this podcast. Send me a message or, you know, leave it in the comments on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Because there's a lot of great, great uh, care being given to hounds out there. I see a lot of people doing a lot of really, really smart things. And I've learned a lot just from watching you guys and, and communicating with you guys on how to deal with, with us certain things both in the kennel and you know out while we're out there so uh, there's a lot of good information out there there's some garbage information out there i i would put the whole the old rag with gasoline in the garbage uh in the garbage category but you know, there's there's a lot of good information out there on but uh on social media a lot of good information out there just calling people who know maybe have a little bit more experience than you do. And, uh, cause there's, you know, I think as long as I'll live, there's always going to be somebody with more experience than I, than I have who I can, who I can talk to. So that's about it. I hope you all are doing well. Thanks for listening. Man, I love that sound. <laughs>